Thank you, guys. Friends, let's open in our Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts 2, we heard our passage read um, a little bit earlier. I'm just going to read a few verses from that chapter. I'm going to be beginning in verse 5. Hear now God's word. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in their own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And then down to verse 12. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray with this same spirit, that you will move inside of us, that you will teach us, that you will show us the calling you have for us with respect to Pentecost evangelism. That's scary. We need you now to hold us up and to show us the way. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. When the Holy Spirit, God in three persons, the person of the Spirit finally descends on the church. This is the first way he has ever done this in salvation history since we began this series in Genesis all the way through the New Testament. In the very first way, the Spirit is going to descend on every believer. The first thing he does out of the gate is open doors for evangelism. Isn't that telling? Isn't that striking to realize that that's the first thing he does? Of all the things that the Holy Spirit will and and does do and could do, he could have done a bunch of things right out of the gate as his new presence in the church. I mean, he could have led these believers in a worship service. They were in the upper room together. He could have led them in a Bible study. He could have kept them indoors for a powerful prayer meeting. He does none of those things. The first thing he does is move them outside the four walls of the upper room and begins to open doors for them to share the gospel. That's meant to teach us and show us something. And if we had been paying attention to what Jesus told us the Holy Spirit was going to do in his last moments on earth, we would have been ready for the Holy Spirit to show us just this. I mean, Jesus repeated that this was what the Spirit was going to do, and I think of two powerful instances that he did that. The first one, of course, it happens in the upper room. The disciples disciples gather with Jesus. He begins to teach them. This is the night before he's arrested, and he's going to be crucified, and the disciples are hanging on his last words because he says, I'm going to leave you, I'm going to go away from you. And then he tells them, it's to your advantage, disciples, that I leave because then the Holy Spirit will come and that'll be better for you. And to a disciple who's just walked with Jesus for three years and seen him done miracles and seen him answer every question and rebuke and seen him raise somebody from the dead and seen him feed 5,000 people, it must have been interesting to hear that this so-called Holy Spirit is going to be better to be with them than Jesus' bodily presence. He's going to go away. The Spirit is going to come. What could he possibly do that's better? And then Jesus says in John 16, 8, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That might have been a letdown for the disciples 
who thought someone better than Jesus' bodily presence was going to be here. But Jesus is saying, I will send the Spirit into the world and he will begin to soften hearts of any person that you will ever meet. In your home and in your workplace and in your neighborhood and in your city, he will convict hearts. Well, there was a lot going on Passover night and it would be understandable if the disciples didn't quite get what the Holy Spirit was going to do and so Jesus reminds them of what he's gonna do. After Jesus dies and then he rises from the dead, we know that he spent 40 days with the disciples. After his resurrection, he showed his resurrected body to them. We said last week, I mean, if I could give anything in the world to be there just for a day, of those 40 days and hear what Jesus taught and see Jesus with the disciples, I would gladly do it. But God chooses to give us almost nothing of that teaching. I mean, almost no red letter material from those 40 days except one of the few sentences in Acts 1.8 about the Holy Spirit. But you will receive power And I think that's awesome. I love power. I want more power. I don't have enough power. I like power. To do what? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. I'm going to send the Spirit into the world, into hearts of unbelievers, preparing them. And then I'm going to fill you with the Holy Spirit who will give you power to be a witness. And so I'm creating magnets in the world, power in you, conviction in an unbeliever that will begin to draw you together wherever you cross paths with someone that God intends. It is for your and their good and my glory. Jesus prepared them. And then lo and behold, no bait and switch, the Holy Spirit comes and the first thing he does is open doors for evangelism. Now I want to spend these three weeks, today and the next two weeks, looking in Acts 2, this great Pentecost chapter, the things that the Holy Spirit does with respect to evangelism. We're going to see today that he opens doors. We're going to see next week that he opens our mouths to give us words to speak. And the third Sunday, we will see that he opens our hearers' hearts. He does that work of moving in them. Those are the three things that the Spirit does. So today we're going to focus on a Spirit who opens doors. And I just want to make two quick observations about it and then bring it together in application for us. The Holy Spirit is opening these doors. And when he does it, my first observation is that it is supernatural and strategic. It's both supernatural and it's strategic. We see that this move is supernatural, right? Because he appears with this sound of a rushing wind. Elsewhere in our Bibles, God's voice is likened to rushing wind or rushing water. It's this huge noise that actually we learn in verse six is the reason that the crowd comes together. They weren't looking for Peter and the disciples. They only came because they heard this enormous noise. And when they come, they're treated to a second miracle because when the disciples get up to speak, they're speaking in tongues, not tongues as we think about them, but in people's actual languages. Wherever you're coming from, you are hearing this gospel message in your mother tongue. Now, a lot of 
Commentators have observed that at the beginning of our Bible, in Genesis 11, at the Tower of Babel, when God judged humanity for uniting themselves against him, he confused their languages and spread them out over the earth. And now here at the beginning of the New Testament, he is drawing them together, uniting their language into one believing body. He is undoing the effects of the fall in his salvation. I mean, this is supernatural. None of us can reproduce the kind of sound, the languages. We can't do this. This is the Spirit doing what he wills, and he surprises us with a miracle. So he does things that are supernatural, but he also does things that are strategic. Like he does some things that take some thought. And this is really surprising to me, but in a sense you could say that God's Holy Spirit planned ahead of time this evangelistic outreach. He knew that the day of Pentecost was coming because that was a celebration within the Jewish tradition all this time since the book of Exodus. We know that um, Jesus died at Passover and 50 days after Passover, that is the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost, um, observing this time, this celebration. So Jesus dies, he's with the disciples for 40 days. Then he leaves them and they're alone for 10 days waiting for the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit could have come any day he wanted to, but while the disciples are in the upper room, 120 of them praying together, outside, a million Jewish pilgrims arrive from our passage says at least 15 different nations all congregating in Jerusalem at the same time so that when the disciples emerge from that room, they are ready to preach to this wildly diverse, massive crowd that has gathered in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit is not a dummy. You can write that down if you're taking notes. He, he's God. He can do anything he wants at any time. He could surprise us and, and do any kind of outreach on any day of the week. He waits, not 40 days after Jesus, not 45 days after Jesus, not 49 days. He waits 50 days for the right time to bring events together for this tremendous outreach. He's strategic. He sees things that we can't see. He presses into places and moments we wouldn't have otherwise realized were right there before us. He can do this. He can lead a coworker right across our path at the moment that they most need prayer. He can lead a neighbor right across our front yard at the moment they need a friend. He can put us into a conversation with a stranger at the exact time in their life that they have a pressing question to ask. It's unbelievable. The Holy Spirit is supernatural. He's strategic. He orchestrates these incredible events and leads us right to the well to drink from his mission. I bet you've seen this. I bet you've seen amazing ways in which you've crossed paths which you would have thought by chance was somebody who is ready and willing to hear these words. I recently heard from a pastor who talked about his very first time witnessing. He was in high school. He was trained by a high school ministry. They did a beach project. They got in a room and they learned about the four spiritual laws and they got a book, like a tract book, that had the four spiritual laws and they said, just find a person, read this book to them and see what happens. 
And then they send them out one by one on the beach, which is just like terrifying. And so this kid, this poor kid is like shaking and he's like, I don't want to do this. Lord, bring me someone who is younger and dumber than me so that I have like a fighting chance to share the gospel. And of course he bumps into a a college student. He's in high school and the guy's in an honors program in Georgia Tech and He's like, man, I'm, I'm out here with this group. And, you know, we're talking about God and you don't want to hear about that, do you? And the kid says, you know, actually, I really would like to hear that. <laughs> and so he's like, what do I do? I'll get out this book. And he said, I'm just going to, I've got this book. I'm just going to read it to you. You don't want that, do you? And the guy says, yeah, I would love to learn more about how I can know God. So the guy's like, man, okay. So he opens up, reads the first spiritual law is so embarrassed by everything. He's like sweating. It's awkward. He's embarrassed. He just shuts the book, hands it to the guy and says, there's three more spiritual laws. Just read them. (laughs) He'll be fine. And then he runs off and doesn't see him again. He was like, man, if there's anybody I don't want to face in heaven, it's that man who God converts. I would be too embarrassed to see him. Well, we just see these ways that God orchestrates these events. I'm not kidding you, but um, this morning I pray with an elder before every service And he was confessing to me that yesterday he was in his yard working and he was doing yard work. And he was, um, while he was out there, a woman walks by who walks in his neighborhood. Her face is glued to her phone. She stops right in front of him yesterday and says, I used to love walking, but now I hate it. And he was so taken aback and he had so much yard work to do. He said, oh, I'm sorry. And then he went back to to trimming his hedges. And he was confessing that to me this morning. I blew it. You know, I'm an elder. I'm supposed to lead by example. And I didn't say anything to her. He was here at the early service. He drove back home. He texted me. He gets out of his car. The woman is there at the end of his driveway. And so he says, okay. So he walks up, meets her. She's a single mom. She's depressed. She's lonely. They're having her over later. It was like, okay, the Holy Spirit is giving you a second chance. You missed the first one. He, he does this in tremendous ways. It's supernatural. It's strategic. If we have eyes to see, these opportunities are right in front of our face. So the first observation is that, that he's orchestrating these things. The second observation is important, that by open door, we mean a conversation and not a conversion. When we say that the Holy Spirit is opening doors everywhere, we mean he's providing opportunities to speak good news. We don't mean that he's providing the response that we most want to hear from the person that we're talking to. Now we get to see this crowd begin to react to the disciples right off the bat. In verse 7, it tells us that some of them, when they heard this, they were amazed and astonished. And that sounds like a great response. I mean, how would you like to begin a gospel conversation with someone who is amazed and astonished at what you're talking about? That's awesome. But then in verse 12, there are some people who are perplexed. And that's kind of on the fence. There's a good kind of perplexed and a bad kind of perplexed. It can go either way. But then we hear, verse 13, that there were some people who were downright mocking. And that's hard to deal with. And so the Holy Spirit does this incredible, supernatural, strategic miracle of drawing this crowd together with a loud sound and then speaking to them, everybody in their own language, by these unschooled Galileans. And the disciples still get laughed at. It's even worse. I mean, Peter 
We're going to hear next week, he goes on to preach this incredible, spirit-filled, scripture-soaked sermon. And many in the audience, maybe even most in his audience, they don't convert. They walk away into the darkness. I thought this was the Holy Spirit's job. I thought this is what he came to do. I thought he was in hearts, convicting the world that he's in us, giving power. I thought he planned ahead of time and created this incredible outreach opportunity, this conversion of events for Pentecost. You've got this waiting and listening crowd. And even so, many people don't respond and believe and are saved. I think if the Holy Spirit changed this one thing, every one of us would be an evangelist. I think if the Holy Spirit could guarantee that every conversation would lead to a conversion, every one of us would do this, right? If he could impress upon us that I'm not gonna look stupid, And I'm not going to fumble over my words. And I'm not going to get asked a question I can't answer. And I'm not going to ruin a friendship that I was excited about. And it's not going to be awkward to see this person later. And I won't be exposed as the hypocrite I am if he could patch that together and guarantee me that if I open my big mouth, he will bring fruit of conversion every one of us would be a witness, right? I mean, nobody doesn't share the gospel because we hate our neighbor and want them to perish. Who here doesn't talk about Jesus because they hate people? Tell an elder so we can excommunicate you today. We don't do that. We don't talk about Jesus because we don't want to look dumb and we don't want to be rejected. This is important. It is God's will for your life to share the gospel and be rejected. It is God's will for your life to share the gospel and be rejected. It is God's will for you and for me to speak the good news of the gospel to the point that someone somewhere, maybe lots of someones, lots of somewheres, will reject it and walk away without it. I have never met, I have never read about I have never seen in Scripture any person who is faithful to God's mission who has not experienced rejection. I'm talking about friends I respect. I'm talking about mentors and teachers. I'm talking about people who have shown me how to do evangelism. I'm talking about great saints whose biographies I've read. I'm talking about prophets. I'm talking about disciples. I am talking about Jesus himself. Jesus, who dedicated three 
years of his life to this, who gave up having a home and a family so that he could hustle town to town and speak to crowds that he could touch people with the very finger of God that he always said what was appropriate and spirit-filled and made it into scripture, that he could attend his words with incredible signs like raising people from the dead, even Jesus himself experienced bitter rejection. At the end of his three years, all we have in this upper room are 120 born-again believers. What happened to the 5,000 people that were fed? What happened to the exorcisms in the Decapolis? What happened to the daughter he raised from the dead? Where, where's the fruit? It was the will of God for Jesus to be in the right place, with the right words, with the right power, and the right person, and be rejected. Do you think we're going to have a better batting average in our evangelism than the Son of God? If we are not being rejected, we are not doing something that God is calling us to. This is His will for us. To open doors, even doors that will ultimately slam in our faces. That's heavy. So the Spirit is here supernaturally and strategically providing these opportunities. We understand that these opportunities will lead to conversations about the gospel, sometimes to conversion, oftentimes to, to being rejected. Let's speak a word about application. If we know theologically what the Spirit is here to do. We've heard that Jesus has prepared us to tell us that he's going to go into the world and he's going to convict hearts and he's going to fill us and he's going to give us power. If we know that he's doing those two things, then we will have eyes open to be prepared to expect this kind of work. Because the tricky thing about open doors, of course, is if you're not looking for them, you're never going to see them. You'll never see an open door that you're not looking for. Um, our elder friend did not see an open door yesterday that was an open door, but he saw it today. I can only say that that's the Holy Spirit in him opening him, his eyes to see these things. And this means praying with our eyes open, with expectation that God is actually doing what he said he was going to do, open doors. Now, it takes spiritual vision because an open door to God might not look like an open door to us. I mean, look at what Peter is going off of in this passage. Look at his open door. He stands up and a crowd looks at him and says, what's that noise and are you drunk? And Peter says, man, that's awesome. I'm going to talk about Jesus. Like what? That was an open door because he had spiritual eyes to see it. An open door is anybody sharing with us something that they are afraid or anxious about. I didn't know that was an open door, but now the Spirit tells me he's prepared that person, he's prepared me, and if someone says they're anxious about something, that's a chance for me to listen and to learn and to offer prayer for that thing. An open door is any time I meet someone new. That's a chance for me if the Spirit is in them and in me to ask them questions. What do you do? What's your job? Where do you live? Where'd you go to school? 
But then meaningful questions as we get to know each other, like, what are you living for? And what makes you tick? And what are you most excited about? And what are you most afraid of? The, the soul-penetrating questions of meeting a new person. All of a sudden, an open door becomes anytime someone asks us about our lives, like what makes us tick and what we're living for, and that being an opportunity to tell them about what Jesus is doing inside of us in that moment. I'm not talking about the four spiritual laws. I'm talking about a living relationship with Jesus now. All of a sudden, standing for justice in our city, in our community, is an open door when people say, why do you care about justice? And why do you care about racial reconciliation? That's an open door that God has provided to say, this is why I'm so passionate about this. This is why it matters to God. It matters to us. All of a sudden, open doors are everywhere because God is giving us eyes to see what he would have us see. The Spirit has already gone out from here. He's already in our neighborhoods. We're about to have this gathering tonight. We had this great idea to do this cookout, but God has had this idea long before us that he is compelling neighbors by his work in their hearts to convict them of sin and make them long for something more. And then he says he's giving us power, and most of us don't feel like we have power because we're looking for a different kind of power, like the world's kind of power. That's not the power that Jesus is giving us. It's a power to be a witness, to open our mouths in the places he opens doors, and to be a light and a witness. Let me pray to that end. Heavenly Father, I pray for us as a church body that we will be bold, that we will pray with our eyes open to look for these open doors that you have provided, to walk through them faithfully, humbly, courageously, joyfully speaking truth in love to the people you put in our path. We're terrified to do that. And we need your spirit to help us to do it together as a church body. And so we ask boldly in Jesus' name, amen.